Hey, this is Sayyam Bhutani and you're listening to Chai Time Data Science, a podcast for data science enthusiasts where I interview practitioners, researchers and cagglers about their journey, experience and talk all things about data science. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Chai Time Data Science Show. I'm really excited to be interviewing another person from Hugging Face in this episode, Victor San, who's a research scientist at Hugging Face. This is part two or second release of the Hugging Face series. So do check out the interview with Julian Chaumann, who's the CTO of Hugging Face, if you haven't or if you're interested. In this episode, we talk all about Victor's journey into the field of NLP and machine learning, broadly speaking, and delve more into research at Hugging Face, especially Distilbert, which is the most recent research uh, by Hugging Face. We also talk a lot about open source and research in general. Victor shares his amazing viewpoints for NLP research in this interview. So I'm really excited to be sharing this. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Victor San, research scientist at Hugging Face, all about Distilbert and research in NLP. Please enjoy the show. Hi everyone, I'm really, really excited to have another person from Hugging Face, Victor San on the show. Thank you so much, Victor, for joining me on the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's really an honor to have you. I thought I, I'd like to use Hugging Face Transformer model again to generate your inter, uh, intro. Uh, may I read it out if that's okay with you? Yeah, yeah I like that. Go. Uh, so this time I used Distill GPT-2. Last time with Julian, I'd used uh, GPT-2. Uh, the prompt that I gave to the model is Victor San is a research scientist at Hugging Face and it came up with uh, Victor San is a research scientist at Hugging Face Research Institute in New York City and has led a number of open source projects that have been named for his work. He's also co-founder of OpenAI Foundation and is a founding member of International Open Source Society, IOF, and Open Technology. His interests include computer vision and NLP, open technology, cryptography, computer software and robotics. He's also an open source software engineer and researcher. Seems right. <laughs> I, I, love this, I love this description. Actually, like part of it is actually true. Um, like okay. not the open AI part, definitely not. That's not me. <laughs> yeah. uh, but like, yeah, I started like with computer vision, computer vision before doing NLP. So yeah, part of it is definitely true. I promise, like, I didn't, like, put anything, like, on myself when training this kid. This kid. <laughs> okay. Um, but i definitely love to know more about your background before we talk about research at Hugging Face. So could you tell us how did you get interested in machine learning? Uh, I found out that you also took up a bunch of machine learning uh, courses during your university days. Yeah. Um, so basically, I have a background in mathematics. So I did pretty much all my studies in math. So, so I studied, like, Algebra, topology, optimization, like probability, financial math, like a lot of math. Well, um, and look, so like, I guess like my first project in 
in machine learning was doing computer vision. So at that time I was working on like a project, like we were trying, we were doing like 3D object recognition. Okay. So using like our RGBD uh, input, so like the D for RGB, like and the D um, stands for depth. Okay, gotcha. That's the kind of like um, sensors you have like on like recent iPhones. Okay. Uh, so using like these RGBD inputs to recognize 3D objects. So I like that's how I kind of started machine learning, and then like I did a little bit of um, machine translation. Mm -hmm. uh, this was like my first step into NLP, um, and yeah, like now I'm like more working broadly on NLP, like uh, at the stack. Um, I've done a lot of like conversational AI, obviously, um, mm -hmm. but yeah. Got it. Uh, you're a research scientist at Hugging Face. Can you tell us more about the work that you're currently handling and what does a day in your life currently look like? Yeah. Um, so I guess like I work on like, let's say I work on two different things. Um, okay. So uh, Hugging Face is also building a product. So we're doing conversational AI. Um, that's how this company started. Mm -hmm. um, so Part of my time is actually, um, yeah, like uh, building machine learning stack for, for the product. So I kind okay. of let like the, the effort, uh, like putting machine learning into the product. So building the new models, putting into production, monitoring the server, et cetera. Um, so that's one of my, one of like, like, yeah, my, my role. Okay. Uh, now the focus is more like doing research. Um, so what I mean by research is like science in general. So it can be like uh, contributing to transformers, our like main library. Yeah. Uh, but it's also like working on fundamental research papers, uh, writing blog posts as like a teaching opportunity, like mm -hmm. reading papers. Um, so yeah, I try to balance like right now my focus is really like on science. Uh, so okay. I try to balance all of it and. Um, depending on like the timeline on the different projects, uh, like try to prioritize all of this. Got it. Uh, you mentioned the Transformers repo, so uh, TensorFlow 2.0 or PyTorch, which is your favorite right now? Um, <laughs> it, it's a tricky question. <laughs> honestly, yeah, it's a tricky question. <laughs> I feel like I shouldn't answer, you know, like uh, just not to like uh, offend anyone. Um, <laughs> I started machine learning during TensorFlow actually. Um, okay. And then I switched to PyTorch. Um, so I guess like I use both. Okay. Um, like a lot of the code, like the code we released uh, is actually in PyTorch. That's like how we like started building yep. things. Uh, but like the vision like on Transformers library is really to be agnostic as possible on like the, the framework we use, either TensorFlow or PyTorch. Uh, the, the idea is here is like to bring value to as most people as possible. Right. And so that like the framework is not like a barrier like to, to use uh, our libraries. That's amazing. I mean like we already implemented in uh, um, Transformers now, it's not PyTorch Transformers anymore. Yeah. Um, and like super excited to see like how people use it and like already people like opening issues. So people are actually using like the sense of presentation. So. Okay. Me as a fan and also user, I'm definitely more excited about it as well. Uh, now coming back to the research aspect, uh, 
so a common question is how does your research pipeline uh, look like how do you think of a new idea how do you approach a new problem maybe uh, quoting the distill uh, bert exam as as an example here yeah um so i guess like this the, the distill bert paper like came out of like this general trend like in like uh in the community in the space in lt of tra- like training and like most specifically pre-training super large transformers and these transformers uh, were getting larger and larger and like a lot of us like not only me but we're kind of tired of seeing this trend yeah um like for many reasons like for just one just to cite one like how do you handle this super large models into production so no one can actually use like one billion five five meters in production so yeah um so yeah like uh just from a production point of view you want to have something more efficient more um more like uh, production friendly uh something more maintainable etc mm-hmm. um so i guess like the first step like in terms of research is to work on something that really excites you and mm-hmm. that um interests you so like like the most recent one is definitely is the Tilbert. um For sure. but like I've worked on multitask learning before, like other topics to conversational AI. Um, yeah, so it's really about like finding um, something that excites you. And the second point is what could be like from a research, like from a research scientist perspective, I would say, um, would you be like proud of yourself? Mm-hmm. Would you be like excited if you? if you were to read like the paper like your contribution like got it i mean i mean like you like, you're probably going to write uh something an implementation a paper or whatever whatever like the format is would you be like proud of like this work at the end like would, would you be excited about this paper if it wasn't you who wrote it uh would you be like okay this is a real contribution i i can i do see the trend here etc so trying like to find like this intersection between what excites you and what can really bring value to the community that's amazing advice uh, so you mentioned uh, you should be excited about the project one thing that i always uh, get worried about is in a passion project you might not be able to see when should you end a project or when should you continue exploring because nothing works in machine learning until it does so how do you yeah. decide that <laughs> yeah uh, that's a good question um well, like uh, if I had like the perfect answer, I guess like <laughs> that would be great. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have it. Like, um, well, um, like obviously, when you start a project in machine learning, you have to factor in that like the first iterations won't work. Hmm. Um, like otherwise, you are probably a genius. <laughs> uh, so just like be aware that like the first iterations like won't like uh won't look like the final like the final product like the the final model or whatever you call it uh so it's really important like to have this in mind when you start um and it's also like a question of uh determination so you know that it's going to fail like you know that it's going to fail several times multiple times yeah. how do you handle like these failures like do you like do you know run out of ideas from these failures and that's probably 
like the moment when you should, okay, I should step back, step down like from this, like just um, take the time like to have a better view on this, like just have a better like helicopter view on this and yep. clarity. Uh, and maybe like in two, two or three months, you'll have better ideas uh, that will come like from other uh, research interests and that can feed like uh, your ideas and like come up with like something different. To best work with the remote team uh, because uh, remote work is in itself a challenge when people are distributed across different time zones. So any tips or tricks there? Um, communication. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, right. like uh, yeah, communication is at the center of like um, like because it's like it's easy. I guess it's easier to collaborate when you like face to face. So we have like uh, our main office uh, is in New York, so it's mm-hmm. like definitely easier like to co- like collaborate. Yep. Um, but we also like as I said, I, we have people in Europe. Uh, we have like to be really. I would say intentional in the communication and to be really clear on uh, right away on like uh, who works on the what, who is leading what, who uh, is like um, taking the lead on the timeline on like prioritizing things, etc. Yeah. So we have to be really intentional in that. Um, but I mean, like we we managed to like do we do it pretty well. Um, so we, I think we collaborate like uh, quite well uh, in the sense that having like this natural like um, remote setting like um, in which like uh, the overlap between Europe and New York, the, so the East Coast is like the morning here and it's the afternoon, like the end of the afternoon in Europe. Right. So what it means that um, you can do your like I can do my day like my whole day like pretty um, peacefully without being interrupted every ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Like write something uh, for like the people in Europe, and when they get up, they have like what I wrote and like my questions and like the points like I raise, etc. And when I wake, when I woke up, like when I'm waking up like the next day in New York, uh, then I already have like answers, etc. So you like you have like a rhythm and dynamic that like is naturally introduced by like, having a remote and non like non necessarily overlapping time zones. That's amazing advice. How do you exactly factor in uh, such that the tasks don't become deadlocked? Uh, now, mm-hmm. coming back to research, if I may, hugging faces like the apple of NLP, maybe not the current one with the kitchen store design, but maybe the older one. True. <laughs> innovators in open source and research. Could you tell us more about your latest innovation, Distilbert? Uh, it might be a little technical, so maybe if you could give us a 50-foot overview. Yeah. Um, so Distilbert stands for uh, distilled, like using distillation bird. Uh, so the idea is uh, compressed bird. So okay. bird, like the smallest bird is 12 layers. It's about uh, 10, 110 million parameters. Okay. Uh, so we managed to compress it to uh, using 40% less parameters. Uh, and it also means that the, since the model is smaller, it's also faster. Mm-hmm. So it, like on average, it runs twice faster than like the original BERT. And it actually has a pretty good performance. Like it's uh, like 97% of like the original BERT, like on the, on the glue benchmark, on the death set. 
but like another advantage of that is that it's actually cheaper to train. Um, like distillation is this idea that you have a teacher and you want to train a student right. and the student is trained to mimic, like to reproduce the behavior of the teacher. So using this technique, we can like train like a smaller transformer model, a smaller bird, uh, way in a way cheaper manner. So it doesn't mm -hmm. take like uh, as much compute. Um, and it's actually also faster to train. Got it. Uh there's a question from the AMA section by at Logesh underscore Umapathy. Uh, which of these approaches are best for uh, distilling on a task specific use case, distilling transformers on language model tasks, then transfer learning on specific uh, data set or directly transfer learning the transform on target specific task, then distilling it. Mm, okay. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, that's a really good question. Um, I would say it depends on how much data you have. Okay. Um, yeah, like the first answer is on how much you, how much data, how much, how, like the volume of the data, training data you have. Let's uh, assume like a lot of, uh, we're talking about right? IMDB, for example. Uh, so IMDB sentiment classification. Um, yeah. So, yeah, let's say we're talking about IMDB, but like a lot of uh, like a lot of papers, like recent papers, including recent papers, like um, some of them are actually iClear submissions, mm -hmm. um, show that the pre-training, like the they they study like the interconnection between um, pre-training and distillation, and show that pre-training is actually super important. And so what we do in Distillbird is actually we pre-train. Uh, transform our language model by distillation, and okay. then we can find you need like uh, like a classical bird, like because uh, it's also faster, it's cheaper to fine tune. Mm -hmm. um, but like this pre-training part is definitely super important. So if you have like just a little bit of data, um, pre-training, so doing transform learning basically, so I do something pre-trained and you fine tune it on like your specific test. So doing transform learning is super important. Got it. Uh, and like can like boost your performance. If you have much more data, like uh, like a really big training data set, mm -hmm. I would tend to think that um, like training from scratch can lead to like pretty competitive baseline. Okay. Yeah, uh -oh. can lead to a pretty competitive baseline. Um, then there's another question like how, what kind of architecture are you using? So um, there's a, this, this question of like distilling or like trying to compress a model into another inductive bias. It means mm -hmm. that, so BERT is a transformer-based model, but yeah. what if you're trying to put it in LSTM? And honestly, that for me, I don't have like a really good answer of like, um, um, like how it works, like actually does it work? Uh, mm -hmm. Like uh, like uh, transferring a transformer to an LSTM, like because you're kind of changing like the industry bias. That's an open okay. question for me today. Okay. Uh, so Distilbert is not the state of the art across benchmarks, but it's definitely much more lightweight across the Muppet Street. Uh, did you try any inference benchmarks or maybe some intuition on how frictionless will it be to put into uh, put it into production? 
Uh, so yeah, uh, what we basically compared is like, um, so different kind of production settings. So both on CPU, like having a server on CPU, having a server on GPU, Dude. and compare the inference times. Uh, and on average, like both on CPU and GPU, it was like twice faster than using the original BERT. Well, okay. Um, so yeah, we did like, um, and we tested like both like recent architectures, like uh, for GPUs, like V100, or like more more basic, um, more basic infrastructures like a like a K80, which is like a really basic um, GPU. Yep. Um, and also like in the idea of like pushing like the research directly to the production, we also tested with uh, with computation and device. So mm -hmm. like we basically tested on iPhones. Okay. Um, and yeah, again, like it's like um, smaller. So like uh, just like doesn't take as much memory space as like the original. And it's also faster. I think like if I remember correctly, like 60 or 70% faster on like uh, iPhone 7. Okay, iPhone 7? I, I, iPhone 7. I think we have like a benchmark on like um, more recent, like iPhone 11, so the latest one. Um, I don't have the figures in mind, but you should check like the, um, the Swift Core ML uh, repository. One of like one of our, our GitHub repositories. Like a, so, Julian and uh, Lissandre led the like the, the test on that, mm -hmm. uh, and I believe like they include like the, the results. Um, sorry, I don't have like them uh, like <laughs> on like here. But, um, we'll have them linked in the description for the audience. Super great. Yeah. Uh, talking a little bit about iOS, Hugging Face is, of course, it's already shipped these models on iOS, which still is completely mind-blowing to me, even though Julian has already talked about it. What are your thoughts on edge inference and uh, any research in that domain that's exciting to you outside of Distilbert, of course? Mm, yeah. Um, so, yeah, there are actually a lot of, like, uh, recent research on, like, how you can you compress, like, uh, these uh, large models that uh, it can be, like, around distillation, quantization, but also around, uh, like, how you can tweak architectures, like, from the beginning, so how to include more sparsity, um, more sparsity into the training, into the transformer model, like, at training time. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, just to cite a few of them, there is Albert, like uh, this paper from Google, uh, which is doing a really good, great job at like compressing. That's like, pretty impressive, like uh, the results they have. Um, another, like another IP submission um, is called it's called Layer Drops. Okay. Um, that's not the the real title. The real title is like. Um, uh, red, reducing number of layers on demand, um, okay. like the like the method introduced is called layer drops. The idea okay. is like um, extend like the dropout, but uh, to the layers of the transformer. That's mm -hmm. like the high level pitch. Um, so I'm really excited like to see all these um, all these works on trying to compress the transformer models. Like how trying to understand like what kind of sparsity we can reach, where, like in which layers, why we can do that, like does it help to generalize, does it help like uh, to train faster, et cetera. I'm right. super excited to like, uh, to see all these developments. I think like they are like 
I counted like just my just came I just came through like the arcade submissions and there are around like twenty or thirty submissions around this topic. Okay. So I'm super right. excited to see to see that. One of the reasons that um all these compression techniques and methods and studies um somehow have been put aside like, like in the research community. Mm-hmm. Um at least it was not like as trendy at doing transformers. Yeah. Um and I believe that um having this kind of studies can also help us like to understand better, to better understand like why transformers work, what kind of inductive bias, what kind of like structure we are like actually learning in the during training. And it can help us like to build like better models, like to better analyze these models. Yeah. Like yeah. For sure, because that's how you get it into the hands of people by putting it on their phone, not by training it across a huge number of GPUs and only limiting the inference to that. Yeah, yeah. And I think like, can I be like real and honest with you just real quick? Yeah, like <laughs> one of the things that really excites me like now, like as a, as a community, <laughs> is not like really doing research or doing research. What... Um, 2019 is super exciting because we are reaching a level of like production uh, research to production. Yeah, we're starting to really smooth out like the the all these advances, all these techs, all these new models like from research to production, and that's something that's really exciting me because like the goal of what we're doing is not doing research. The goal of what we're doing is bringing machine learning to so that we can impact other people's lives so we yeah. can impact like the life of my mom who like barely knows how to use her phone and like she's amazed of like yeah i'm typing something and like my phone is actually trying to autocomplete me yeah that's machine learning <laughs> so uh so what we're really doing here is like building the tech building the technologies building the models the, the next generation models so that it's not just for us like the like machine learning community but also like people who have no idea of what tech is, people yeah. who have no idea of what machine learning is, like they're just using consumer products, you know? So yeah. I'm really excited about like this trend of like having research, sharing this research and having this research really impact uh, other products, like products that people really use like in their daily lives. Yeah, that's definitely a great comment. Even Jeremy Howard in, in the FASTOTE course echoes upon this in, in fact that uh, the cutting edge of research is slowly shifting from research academia to engineering because what a researcher really aspires to is put these in the hand of consumers eventually in the hands of humanity. Mm, yeah, but it doesn't like, um, don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean that researchers like should do production. It's like, I'm not saying that like, I'm yeah. not trying to mix everyone yeah, in yeah. the same pot. But I'm just doing, I'm just saying that, yeah, we should keep in mind that the, the end goal is like, yeah, building like the autonomous car, like building the next generation of like tech in your phone. Um, yeah, this kind of thing. I think you particularly from uh, being from Hugging Face are in this amazing intersection, are this amazing intersection where you can also work on a product and research and ship it to production via open source. Yeah. And uh, that's actually how we started like all these um, <laughs> open source efforts so it's like yeah like we're doing science for the product we're doing machine for the product and we 
quickly realized that all the all the things we were building like actually useful um actually useful like for a lot of people like not only like just like the models the machine learning part but like also like more like engineering stuff like for instance like work a bit like on a really small library called knock knock okay um which was like so i usually use uh early stopping when i train something um so basically um except like a really rough estimate you have no idea when your training is going to stop mm-hmm. so well, I, I was like spending weeks nights and weekends like <laughs> monitoring my trainings and having no idea when it's going to stop so i just like do a simple interface a simple library that basically send me like slack notifications when it ends so i don't have don't, don't have to worry anymore so i built i built it like basically some this like for myself and like a tagging place like for internal projects um and it was like super useful for a lot of people so like we released it um and like sharing this kind of knowledge like uh open sourcing sharing uh yeah. is really at, like at the core of our dna um and like it's really like the vision and the culture that drives us like when we're doing open source i'm sure we all are definitely fans of that but to me at least i am not sure what your thoughts are on that there's something really satisfying about watching those loss curves for minutes or sometimes i waste a lot of time doing that just just watching yeah. the loss curves go down yeah <laughs> <laughs> now uh, coming to another aspect of hugging face uh, hugging face ships pre-trained models as well inside of the repository uh, so there's a question by at zaid uh, alafai do you support any pre-trained models in other languages like arabic if no any future plans uh so we are working on um a multilingual version of thistbird um so that is not just focused on on english uh mm-hmm. but i'm trying to make it work like for in the multilingual setting um so like um so in, in an xlm or multilingual bird um like setting so it will be available like in more than 100 languages well wow, okay um, so yeah like definitely like the there's definitely like a focus shifting on not working just on english and um yeah like trying to either like shift this what we learned in english to like low resource um low resource um settings or languages mm-hmm. um or yeah you're just like train multilingual stuff that are like multilingual by construction that's really exciting and yeah that's really exciting i'm really excited about like this line of work uh coming to open source efforts at hugging face there's again a question from the ama section by at stormtrooper really nice uh, username 1721 how do you manage a large open source project effectively and do you have any guidelines for creating machine learning libraries maybe you could mm. quote the knock knock uh, one for example um yeah so that's a good question and yeah like managing a really large library is definitely something that is time consuming like i'm going to lie it's time consuming yep. and we have people at hugging face that are full time uh, on this mm-hmm. um like full time managing the library uh answering to issues like uh integrating new uh new stuff um but i i guess that the more like the library grows the more it's about people and the community creating 
Yeah. And like just for like just for instance, like we have an amazing community. Like just I just want to shout out that like we have an amazing community. Like just for instance this week, um uh so we had two additional two additional models, like one from Salesforce. Uh, okay. So Nitish uh, from Salesforce, like he's one of the main main offer like on the, the CTRL, CTRL um, language controllable language model okay. from Salesforce. Um, he basically integrated CTRL by himself. We didn't even like help him to do. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, and like another example recently is like um, uh, Stefan, like um, a German. Uh, he's in Munich. Like he integrated the German version of Bert. Uh, yeah, a German version of Bert. Like um, and yeah, we didn't like had like little supervision on that. Like yeah, we have an amazing community. People are contributing, and that's really what we encourage. We like seeing people like gathering and having positive interaction. Because um, again, like we, like our culture and the DNA is really about sharing. Yeah. Uh, we believe that. Uh, we can gather community around um, sharing models, and it's not about just about sharing. It's also about like making it available to the highest number of people. So, yeah. like, you have a lower barrier uh, at the like lower barrier to like get into uh, like playing with state of the art models, you know. Mm -hmm. And another thing that motivates us, and like I'm super excited to see all this community gather, gathering around this, um, because we have like this open source code, people don't have like to spend hours and hours, weeks, maybe like trying to reproduce results, yeah, uh, like trying to re-implement things, trying to maybe sometimes like retrain something from scratch. You know, yeah. not a lot of people have like the compute power to retrain Bert from scratch. Definitely. And so having this model already available, accessible to everyone, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal for us. And so since people don't have to focus on that, it's already there. You just have like to run scripts, make sure it's like you have the like the correct figures, etc. Yeah. You can really focus on like the bigger doing Yeah. Focusing on the bigger question, test new hypotheses, like uh, test new models, build upon like the what we call the shadows of giants, yeah. and really rely on what people have already built and focus on the bigger question, so that also the, like themselves can bring value to the community. Got it, for sure. And uh, I'd also like to mention, like as as I said, hugging phrase as an apple of NLP research. Uh, I really, really uh, am amazed and respect the fact that whenever a paper or anything is released by Hugging Face, for example, even Distilbert, there's the research paper that comes out, source code that's completely up to the software engineering standards of any best organization, along with the blog post, which also walks you through in a not so sciencey language in a relaxed fashion. So even people who want to pick it up can easily go through that and build on top of it very easily. Yeah. Something I, I guess that's something at least um, I think is driving us is um, the opportunity to have a community as open as possible. Yep. And one aspect of that is um, having both researchers and like practitioners, I would Practicing. say, 
like in the same space, using the same tools and building upon the same tools. Um, and one practical aspect of that is also teaching. Yep. Like it sounds really like super serious, but like how <laughs> can you like make sure that people who don't know yet a lot of things about machine learning or like have a little experience and maybe like they're more software engineers right now, um, but they want to play with machine learning models. How can you make sure that our library is as easy as easy as possible for them to use? Mm-hmm. Um, but also make sure that like the, the libraries has enough complexity for researchers to play with, like to get into the code, like to, awesome. I don't know, like change the self-attention, add a new model here, like yeah. add a new, new, change the layer norm, whatever. Like Without breaking having, things. Yeah, definitely. And like teaching is definitely part of it. So, so either we like, like uh, releasing like blog posts to re- explain like stuff in machine learning. And we always have like this backlog. I'm always thinking like, what can be the next blog post? Mm-hmm. Not necessarily like in a really science way. Um, not like, because sharing knowledge is not just about like mm-hmm. writing papers. Uh, you want to make sure that um, people can also like get into the community and contribute like as soon as possible. Yep. Um, so yeah, teaching like uh, pushing like the latest and the best practices in terms of like both software engineering and machine learning engineering. Um, and yeah, I'd uh, like to give a shout out to. Uh, your medium profile and even the hugging face publication as they call it do check out the complete uh, publication each and every post is definitely amazing there even if it's an older one i'd highly recommend everyone to go through every post <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah like some old uh, old post yeah <laughs> uh, now you mentioned this briefly that uh, and uh, it, it's definitely the case that not everyone in the community has a, access to a good amount of compute power or at least multiple graphic cards. What are your thoughts on people developing applications on a small or maybe a single machine uh, in the NLP domain? And do you think it's possible for them to produce competitive results now that we have this crazy competition in terms of compute power? Mm, I think the question, the question is, here is on what? What do you want to be competitive on? Like, do you want to be competitive on the same thing at Google, same thing <laughs> at Fair, Microsoft, Amazon? Do you want to be competitive in pre-training? Because, like, when you're independent researchers, I, I, I honestly think, I honestly think it doesn't make any sense, like, to yeah. com- trying to compete with Google. Like, you have, to, I guess, like the like the easiest answer here is. Yeah, definitely define what you want to work on. Mm-hmm. And if you're an independent researcher, it doesn't make sense to work on the same thing as Google or mm-hmm. as FAIR. Like people who have much more compute than you, even if you have the same idea, like you probably, I'm not sure you will have like the, the cash to burn, like to burn <laughs> compute. I'm not sure you will have like the uh, human resource like to develop your ideas yeah so yeah it's really about what you what you're working on 
then there are like so many things you can work on like different than pre-training like there are like a lot of interesting research like from the research point of view there are a lot of uh, research that is definitely doesn't require as much compute like fine-tuning is already like uh, fine-tuning is already um, enough um, and yeah uh, like other like for practical for practitioners like I guess like the like the credo is here is build something. When you're a practitioner, build something like yeah. you want to push something out, something that excites you, and it doesn't have to be really sciencey, research-oriented thing. Like hot dog or not dog app, not hot dog app. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a super good example actually. Like yeah, that's a super like fun uh, something that actually at least makes me make me laugh. Um, and yeah, like take like yeah, something that inspire you, like you taking pleasure of building something, like using machine learning, and that doesn't necessarily like yeah. in which you can be competitive, like without having access to like crazy amount of compute, just because you like don't want to compete with Google. It doesn't make any sense. Like yeah, <laughs> let's like this lot pre trainings like to the big tech companies. It's fine, and I really. And I like this trend we have like in the community right now that like sharing is also like a uh, response responsible uh it's a responsible thing to do yep. um like in terms of like openness of the community in terms of like impact and environment um so yeah. Don't compete with Google. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to also quote an example that I I just remember there's this paper by Sebastian Ruder uh, to tune or not tune when it compares uh, fine tuning is important or not. I, I assume that wouldn't take up as much of compute power, but it's definitely a good area of uh, experimentation if anyone would like. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I love this paper. I love reading this paper. I think it was at ACL this uh, this summer. Uh, uh, I, I don't remember, but I definitely think it was from this year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. yeah. Coming to online courses. So Julian had this post about the 224N uh, Stanford NLP course. What are oh, your yeah. thoughts yeah. on uh, online courses to get a break into the field? Maybe your favorite online courses and any tips to a person who maybe wants to work at Hugging Face, but is looking at online education? Actually, like in our team, we don't, we have a few people who doesn't have like, who don't have a, like really formal um, background in machine learning. Yeah, like okay. uh, for instance, like Thomas, like have a background in physics, like in um, quantum quantum physics, I think. Yeah, he had a background in quantum physics. And for the like audience, he, he's leading the research team at Hugging Face. Uh, to the yeah, Thomas is, yeah, Thomas is leading the science team at Hugging Face. Uh, and he didn't have like a really formal, like, like he didn't get in PhD in computer science, like in NLP or machine learning. Um, and I think he's doing fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I guess like it's definitely possible like to. Um, I'm not necessarily like just talking about like online courses. I'm I'm speaking about like how can you like get into like machine learning without like a like super formal background in machine learning, super formal education in machine learning. 
um, it's definitely possible. There are like so many courses, like reading papers is one way, building, building something is definitely the way I recommend. Mm-hmm. Um, don't just build something, definitely read, like, instru- like read as much as possible. Like online courses are great, uh, definitely, because they definitely pinpoint to the, uh, they pinpoint to the, uh, like a good references at least, uh, and like the main topics that's actually useful. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a really good way to get in, uh, because it gives an overview of, um, of, yeah, what's happening, why, like, yeah. why this develop, what this kind of development and what, like, precedes what, like, what's the actual trend in transformers, et cetera. So yeah, online courses are great. Uh, building something definitely, I would definitely recommend building something. Definitely something that excites you, that makes you laugh, and you want to spend your all your weekend building that. Um, yeah. Go out there and create the state of the art uh, hot dog or not hot dog app this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> what, what's your uh, favorite online course recommendation? Uh, maybe one or two. Any any mom. I definitely like the Stanford, um, like uh, stack of um, like the definite the Stanford NLP course. Okay. Taught by taught by led by Christopher Manning. Uh, I definitely love this one. Like maybe if I can set another one, there are a lot of like good blog posts. Uh, like uh, Sebastian Ruder like, has amazing blog posts. Yeah. I really like um, the podcast uh, like of um, Matt Gartner at uh, Alan AI. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a really good way like to just to um, so it's Matt Gartner and Walid I don't remember his family name sorry okay. I'm so sorry about that <laughs> but yeah like co-hosted with Matt Gartner and Walid mm-hmm. um, and yeah like, I mean that's a great way like to like to hear the authors of the papers and like discuss like what are the hypotheses, what are the limits of the, of the of the work um and what can be future improvements of future works yeah got it uh this has been an amazing conversation my final question to you is what best advice do you have for someone who's just getting started into the field uh so machine learning or nlp broadly speaking The most reasonable advice I would say is not trying to do research at first. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so I, I'm like definitely biased to doing research because like that's pretty much what I do. Um, and I do realize that that's definitely not the most reasonable advice to give. Don't do research when you start. Like start by the basics, like read courses, read like blog posts that most have a more like overview of things that don't get into like technical details, like without any explanations or technical details that are not necessary here. Yep. Um, so yeah, read a lot, like start where you are and like, yeah, build something, build something like it doesn't have like to be really complex. Um, but that's something like we really like look into, like when we hire, for instance, like uh, what like past open source projects have you done? Like what kind of contributions to major libraries have you done? Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, like there's definitely a trend like in like the industry, 
when you hire is like where to like okay the resume is good like <clears throat> how do they stand out like did they build something like yeah. contribute to like libraries to did they like did research or whatever <laughs> so yeah this has been an amazing conversation before we end the call what would be the best platforms to follow you and follow your work oh um yeah first thank you very much for having me it was super exciting to to talk with you and discuss all these super exciting topics um yeah the best the best um uh the best platform is definitely twitter um <laughs> and my handle is san s pasmoy um, maybe you can link it because it's like yep, difficult sure. to spell it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the def- the, um, definitely Twitter is the, the way to go. Okay. All right. Thank you so much again, Victor, for joining me on the show. And thanks to all the contributions to the NLP and machine learning community. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sanyam, for having me. It was, uh, it's really an honor to be talking to you on the show. Thanks again. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to give it a review or feel free to shoot me a message. You can find all of the social media links in the description. If you like the show, please subscribe and tune in each week to Chai Time Data Science.